Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Wow, Jesus, you don't mince words, do you? Did you hear what Jesus said about being his follower? Mark 8, 34, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In other words, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, get ready to pick up a cross, carry it up a hill, let a Roman soldier nail you to it so you can die alongside him. To some, this is a very hard teaching, yet it is still something we say today. In the rite of confirmation, we ask our confirmads, and I'm guessing a large number of you, uh, God asked these questions as well at your confirmation, but we ask them two questions. One, do you intend to live according to the word of God and in faith, word, and deed to remain true to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even to death? To which they respond, I do by the grace of God. And then the next question is, do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession and church and to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it. I do by the grace of God. In other words, we ask them if they intend or are willing to take up their cross and follow Jesus. The responses are written out for the confirmants to read, but the response that Jesus likely got in his day was probably not nearly as energetic or enthusiastic as one might, receive, might think. And the disciples of Jesus had a, a reaction that was probably more what you'd expect as sinners to react. In fact, the book of John uh, gives us some interesting insight to the situation. The phrase or request that Jesus had for people to take up their cross and follow me is a hard teaching, especially when you are a follower of Jesus for material reasons. You see, in Jesus' time, there were some that followed him because of material things, things like free food when he fed the 5,000 or the 4,000, free healthcare, healing people and casting out demons. In fact, on account of this, there were some that wanted to make Jesus their earthly king. In John's record of the feeding of 5,000, it says, at the end, as the disciples are gathering up the leftovers, in chapter 6, verse 14, when the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Verse 15 continues, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Makes sense, doesn't it? You get free food, let's make him king. And if you read a little further, there's another recorded event in the book of John about bread. But this time, Jesus is talking about how he is the bread of life. Jesus calls himself the living bread that came down from heaven. He says, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, as faithful followers of Jesus today, we understand this to mean Jesus' body will be sacrificed on the cross and that he is laying the basis for our understanding of communion, 
with the body and blood of Jesus truly present here in the bread and wine for the forgiveness of sins. But his earlier followers didn't get that. They thought he was talking about cannibalism. Though they thought his approach to how one should live their lives then was just simply out of bounds. And just like that, people walk away from following Jesus. You've heard it said that there is nothing new under the sun, and in today's culture, we're seeing the same thing happen with people walking away from following Jesus. As we are reflecting this year on our 75th, remembering all the years, all the the work that has gone into getting the church to where it is today, one might wonder, why isn't this church growing like it once did? But this question and this answer is much bigger than a South Shore Trinity thing or a White Bear Lake conundrum. This answer lies in the fact that there has been a major shift in American culture. And it's happened rather quickly. Like the earlier followers of Jesus, many in today's culture think that Jesus' approach to how one should live their lives is simply out of bounds. How we Christians think about certain things is seen as wrong, insensitive, bigoted, and even cruel. And it's hard to hear that. It's hard to hear that people feel that way. Why is it so hard? Well, just look at all the work we've done in this church. Look at all the great programs in the building. Look at our our beautiful history and all we've accomplished here in this place. If we put in all this work, and trust me, you have, Why is it so hard to be a follower of Jesus today? Well, the river has moved. This is a picture. This is a picture of the Choloteca River in Honduras. It's the one that Greg Finke mentions in the book, Joining Jesus on His Mission. And if anyone missed that sermon last week, we did videotape it. It should be on our website uh, very soon. So I recommend you watch it. But does anyone see anything wrong with this picture? Now, I'm not a bridge expert, but I'm pretty sure that the bridges are supposed to go over the river. And this bridge, believe it or not, did that. At one point, this bridge did exactly what it was designed to do. That is, until Hurricane Mitch happened in 1998. What started as a Hurricane 5 or Category 5 hurricane, by the time it got to Honduras, it had reduced down to a Category 1, and it stalled out over the mountains in that region. It dropped rain for three days straight. Some places recorded 75 inches of rain. That's over six feet or uh, taller than Patrick Hyneth. Way taller than me. And all that rain came rushing down those mountains with such a force that it changed the course of a river permanently. In 72 hours, it made this bridge here rather obsolete. And this serves as a metaphor for our fast-changing culture. It seems not too long ago, the church was perfectly positioned for where our community was and what it thought. 75 years ago, the question was, what church do you go to? Now it's, do you go to church? 
The culture has changed. The river has moved. And as I scroll through my Facebook news feed, and I see evidence of the shift in the culture, or I, I hear a startling story in the news that bothers me, I try to remember that it's just the river that has moved. It's not my job or your job to move the river back. Because let's face it, that's impossible. No matter how much I want it to go back, that simply isn't going to happen on account of me. And when that idea that it's just the river has moved starts to, to sink in, there's a certain peace that you can have about it. And we can start to see it, what it as it really is. Non-Christians acting like non-Christians. And to expect non-Christians to act like Christians is simply going to lead you to a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, and a lot of resentment. In this time and place, we are truly in uncharted waters. We are now missionaries in our own communities, in our own backyards. And Jesus isn't wringing his hands, unsure of what to do. No, no, he's got this. What he says is follow me. And as much as we loved building our bridge, helping those in our community these past 75 years, it's time that we start to be river people in work, in school, around town, and in our families. And I'm not saying we need to get rid of the bridge. And I'm not saying we need to start acting like this wayward culture. But what I am saying is that it's time that we interact with, invest in, befriend, love those who are in the river. Because we are people of grace and truth in the business of restoration and love. And so as we head into the river, let me ask you, to what locations is Jesus leading you? To whom is Jesus leading you to be friends with, to invest in, to be in community with? You see, God has created us to be social beings. That's how we're made. But there are people out there who feel isolated and unwanted, and God is putting those people in our paths as we follow him. Did you know that over 50% of people in America feel like they have no one person that they can have a serious conversation with. So as we wrestle with this, I'd like to ask, what might this look like in White Bear Lake, in the circles of people you know and interact with already? And for some of you, as you process the fact that God has work for you to do, work that probably falls outside of your comfort zone, you might be feeling a bit nervous. Well, I'm here to tell you that your Christianity should make you a little nervous. That's a good thing. Butterflies in your stomach mean that you're growing, that you're trying, that you're pushing your comfort zone a little beyond where it previously was. I can remember one of the first times I felt nervous as a Christian. It was when I had to sit in front of the church and ask her questions from the catechism the weekend before I was to be confirmed. And though I answered them all correctly, 
I was still nervous. Because I thought, what if I get one wrong? What if people see me make a mistake? What if I wouldn't be confirmed because of it? And though none of these questions I asked myself ever took place, they still caused some butterflies to flutter about my gut. Maybe that's how you felt the first time someone asked you to pray for them. Or the first time you offered to pray out loud with somebody else. Maybe that's how you felt when you first talked to a coworker about Jesus. Or the first time you invited somebody to come to church with you. Do you remember back, uh, back before cell phones? Some of you younger people won't understand this. But back before cell phones, uh, if you had like a crush in high school, you had to call the home phone. And you would just hope, 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 hope that her dad wouldn't answer the phone, right? Your Christian faith should, should feel a little more like that. Because the butterflies, the stuttering, the fear of rejection, that's all part of being a Christian. That's all part of the cross we bear. And it's in these moments of butterflies that you start to realize that it's the Holy Spirit active in your life and in the lives of those you are in relationship with. Part of the butterflies come from not knowing how something will end up. And I want you to hear that that is a good thing. That is God working. I have a confession. This week I had a really hard time focusing on writing this sermon. The distractions, the other demands on my time, and my finely tuned ability to procrastinate made for an uphill battle. Also this week, I'm not sure if you knew this or not, but both copiers went down the morning we were supposed to print the bulletins. And it made me realize that Satan is working hard in this church. I described all that was going on to Joanne Lundgren, and she said, huh, we must be doing something right. Because it's the devil who doesn't want us to think about, to read about, to listen, to speak about sharing our faith. He doesn't want us to grow in the knowledge and skill of telling others about Jesus. He wants us to continue with the status quo. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus is asking us to join, uh, join him on his mission. In scripture here, Jesus is asking his disciples back then, and he's asking the disciples in this room to willingly accept the burdens of being an imitator of Christ. And when we take up our crosses, the suffering we will face on account of being a Christian, and when we deny ourselves, that is, refusing to make ourselves the sole object in our life, but making God and his will the center of our lives. When we stop just living for ourselves and start living for the other, we then, in a sense, lose our lives. But it's then that we gain life. And this doesn't mean just eternal life at the end after death, but rather life today, life that's been given purpose and meaning the lives that we are already living here on earth, this side of the resurrection. And we receive that life because Jesus came before us. He took up his own cross, and he carried it to Mount Calvary and allowed himself to be executed like a common criminal. 
On that cross, he took the punishment of our sin so that we can be forgiven. We can be set free to live a life in gratitude to God and in thankfulness for what Jesus has done for us in the salvation that we know we will then live our lives loving our neighbors. Neighbors who might felt, have felt a little swept away by the river that has moved. Neighbors who need to hear about God and his love for them, who need, to, need a friend to support and love them exactly where they are. And as we follow Jesus, he'll give us front row seats to see how he can change lives on account of his love, the love that he has for us sinners. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for the salvation that you've given to us. The salvation that we know that at our death and the final judgment, we will be ones called into your presence forever. And Lord, help us. Help us to share that, that news with our neighbors. But first, help us to love our neighbor so that when the time comes, we can share that. Be with us as we venture out into the river. Help us to not be swept away, but hold fast to you as we reach out to pull others from that river. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.